Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the LA area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Hebrews 11 is our hall of faith. And the writer has been very faithful to say, look, if Moses could do it, so could you. If Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob could do it, so could you. I mean, if Enoch can do it, so can you. If they can hear God's word and do it, no matter what they went through, so can you. And remember, he's writing a group of people that are drifting, deconstructing their faith. They're walking away from faith because it's gotten difficult. So they don't want to go through the difficulties, but Jesus said the way is difficult. And he's using human beings to say, listen, I know it's difficult, but there's a way for you to get through. And it wasn't just Jesus that made it through. There were real just human beings that made it through, like Rahab. The prostitute, like she made it through. And Joshua, who fit the battle of Jericho, he made it through. And there were those like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that went through a fire and they made it through. And there was like the Shunammite woman who received her child back. I mean, this is just momentous kind of faith. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, he gives us another group there. Just a measure of you. Look at Hebrews 35, excuse me, Hebrews 11:35, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might attain a better resurrection. Still others had a trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. Let the church say amen. amen. That was not very hearty. <laughs> they were stoned, they were sawn in two. Ouch. They were tempted, were slain with the sword. Now, I need to let you know, we, um, while we were living in Liberia, we ministered to child soldiers and to help the church take on uh, uh, and foster these kids to be able to take them in their home, we decided to go first. And so we had a kid in our home, and his name was Junior. And Junior one day was telling me, and he'd been in our house for about a month. Remember, we had small children at the time. Junior was telling me one time, he was going, yeah, my job during the war, and he just said it so matter-of-factly, my job during the war was to saw people in half. I thought to myself, why are you living in my home? Like, how did that happen? Like, that was his real job. Can you imagine being the guy that sawed Zachariah in half? Or being Zechariah. Like, think of this kind of faith for just a moment. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. That's heaven's perspective. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And I said last week, some of us want the go-through-a-fire faith and we don't get burnt. Nobody wants the tortured faith. Nobody wants the wander about in caves faith. Nobody wants this kind of you get beat and you die for Jesus kind of faith. Like this is not on a plaque in your house. This is not even scripture we memorize. This is actually one that we just read over and oh, those great people. But we're talking about standing in faith whether you're victorious or whether you feel defeated. 
Because heaven's perspective of these guys was the world was not worthy of them. So God took them. That was heaven's perspective. None of us actually want these stories, but we all want this kind of faith. And the Holy Spirit is identifying with those who are tempted to walk away from faith because it's getting difficult. And what he's doing, he's revealing the faith of those to give their lives even though they didn't have what we have today. Take a look with, uh, uh, as we continue in verse 39. And all these, speaking of those in chapter 11, having obtained a good testimony through faith. So in other words, I'm writing them down so that you can be encouraged. They got a good testimony. They didn't even receive the promise. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Do you know who he's talking about? They didn't know Jesus. They only have the promise of a coming Messiah. We've got post-resurrection. We know Jesus. So how much more should we stand in faith seeing what God has went through through his son Jesus Christ on the cross? Not only do we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we got Jesus who put the cross on his back for you and for me and died on Calvary's tree to rise again on the third day. He gave his life as an example that we give our lives whether we're standing in victory or standing in defeat. Therefore, chapter 12, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, he's closing up this section. He's saying there are so many people that have gone before us who chose to remain faithful despite their circumstances. They chose to remain faithful. And he wraps up chapter 11 now with four things that we learn from these lives in order to stand. And I want us to take a look at them. So we've got these witnesses. Take a look at number one. Let us lay aside every weight. There's number one. Maybe you'll write it down. Lay aside every weight. Now, let me tell you what these weights are. These are the freedoms that we have in Christ. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify, or not all things build me up. I need you to think about this for just a moment. As believers, we have the privilege of, enjoy, of enjoying on this earth every blessing of the Lord. We have that privilege. We can eat ice cream. We can. We can enjoy a big, fat, juicy, rare ribeye with blood. I don't know why in the world anyone would cook a steak well done. You might as well eat a brick. <laughs> Blows my mind. What'd you say? <laughs> I'm not touching that one. Let me explain. We can enjoy a great event and go to a wedding 
We can even dance as Christians. Now, it also depends on if you can dance, okay? Like, like some Christians can dance and some Christians shouldn't dance, okay? As believers, we've got the privilege to enjoy. The problem is when these blessings distract us from spiritual things, there's a problem. See, in our culture, there are so many good things we can be involved with. You can go to the gym. You can play your sport. You can be with your family. You can go walk your dogs. I love to walk my dogs. I love walking my dogs. My dogs are nuts. They are nuts. But they're so much fun. You can travel. You can fly to the Bahamas. (laughs) Just putting in my little commercial for my homeland. It's better in the Bahamas. (laughs) Don't go to Jamaica. But go to Samoa, okay? Yeah, there you go. In our culture, we have free time. Like, we don't work 90 hours a week. We actually can get two weeks of vacation. Like, we've got some free time. And for most pastors, they golf on their free time. And I'm happy to let you know I am not a golfer. God bless you. I don't have the attention span for four to six hours with me, a tiny little ball, and a... Like, I'd be knocking people over the head with that thing. But for me, I love surfing. I love hunting. I love outdoor activities. Some of you are like, did you just say hunting? Yes, I have actually shot Bambi's father. And then I ate him. Some of you were like, I cannot believe you said that in California. I'm going to say it again. I shot Bambi's father. And you need to get over it. I love building. I love <laughs> building. I know that's an email, and God bless you. But if these things prevent me from what's most important, they're not helpful. So if I spend all of my free time surfing and none of my free time reading my Bible, then it's not helpful for me because the edification of my faith is the most important thing to God, not the ocean, not the gym. And I like going to the gym. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, listen to what the Bible says. For bodily exercise profits a little. There's a little exercise. There's a little profit in staying healthy. You get to live just a little bit longer, but you still die. But godliness is profitable for everything, all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Now, let me tell you, when I go to the gym, I put my, what do you call them? Um, Airbuds? Little things that go in your ears. Whatever they are, they go in, okay? And I listen to a sermon. That's how I, I, part of the way that I do my devotions. And I'm listening to a sermon, and I listen to one six days a week, and it goes in my ear, and that's what I'm listening to. My son is like that. You listen to music when you work out. I'm like, no, I listen to people, and they speak into my brain. I don't listen to junk. I listen to positive things, and I put it in my brain. But guess what? All of this effort in the gym, this bicep will eventually become a unicep. And it will sag. 
It just is going, it's probably only a few years away. But it has profit for, the th- for a little bit, but my eternal is the most important thing. These good things can actually become weights to keep you from running your race. So he says, let us lay aside every weight. Get rid of the things in your life that keep you from spiritual things. And can I tell you, it could be your children. And I know some of you are going, did you just say get rid of my children? Where do I put them? No, what I'm saying is this. It's amazing to me that some moms, they cry to God for a child. And then when they have their child, they can't come back to church. It's amazing to me. Why? I don't want them to get sick. I mean, it's my child. Well, now they're teenagers. They've walked away from God because sports and every other thing was more important than getting them into church. Someone say, ouch. Number two. He then goes like this. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin, the sin. So there's one thing he's talking about, the sin which so easily ensnares us. He says, get rid of the sin in your life. Now let's go back to uh, Hebrews 11.24. We've got to remember Moses. Let's remember what Moses did, okay? It's, it's Hebrews chapter 11. Take a look at verse 24. By faith... Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Let me tell you something about sin. Ooh la la. Sin is pleasurable. It's pleasurable. It looks good. It smells good. It tastes good. Sin can be pleasurable. There's no doubt about it. But Moses goes, I don't want the delicacies that Egypt has to offer. I want to fulfill the calling in my life. Now, here's the thing about the sin with Moses. Now, as well, let's go all the way back to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, we discover the sin that he's speaking about. He's reviewing all of the first 11 chapters. And in Hebrews 11:3, just as a measure of reminder, let's look, therefore, holy brethren, verse one, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, uh, appointed him as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. Speaking of Jesus, for every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of the things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the house, uh, hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, so since we've got Jesus, Therefore, the Holy Spirit says, and this is how we know that the word of God is inspired because he doesn't say that Isaiah says, he says the Holy Spirit said today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. There it is, as in the rebellion. 
in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always, here it is, go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart, here it is, the sin, of unbelief in departing from the living God. He says there's a hardness of the heart. Let me tell you what the hardness of the heart is. They didn't want to do what God told them to do. They just didn't want to do it. So don't date an unbeliever. I don't want that. I want that unbeliever. He looks good, he smells good, and he is good. I want him. So I want him. I don't want to do what you want to, you're telling me to do. Then he said they go astray in their heart. They didn't believe what God told them. I have someone for you, but it's not the unbeliever. Can you trust me? They didn't want to believe what God told them. Why? Because there were hardships in the desert and they wanted the easy life. They wanted to go back to Egypt for onions. That's what they wanted. They, can you imagine? Um, Moses, we'd like to go back to slavery because we'd like an onion. Are you serious? The desert's so rough that you want to go back to Egypt for an onion. You see, their sin was faithlessness. Take a look. Go back with me if you would, verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. You see, faithlessness easily ensnares us because it's hard to trust God and his word when you don't understand what he's doing. It's difficult to do what he's asking you to do when you're doubting what's going on in your life. And trial and hardships, disappointments had caused these people to walk away from the faith. No different than the 21st century that when someone dies in their family, they blame God, they don't understand, and they walk away from the Christian faith. It's the same. Trial, hardships, disappointment caused people to walk away from faith because they didn't understand why it was happening to them. It caused them to doubt that he was a good God and that his promises are true. That's what's going on. That's the sin that easily ensnares. Faithlessness. And it easily, usually ensnares us when we're walking through something that we can't answer the question, why? So he says, you, you got to get rid of that sin of faithlessness. Then he says this. Go back with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Then he says this. And he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Number three, I want you to write it down. This is a marathon, not a sprint. The Christian faith is a marathon. I'm embarrassed to tell you. I trained for a marathon. I ended up only running half a marathon. And I signed up for the half. Even though I was going to run the marathon, I decided to run the half. And the Lord disgraced me. God bless the Ethiopians. God has given them a gift. No, they, God has given them a gift to run. And this Ethiopian came from Africa and ran the race with me in the Bahamas. 
He ran the marathon, I ran the half marathon, and he beat me. He beat me. I couldn't believe it. And you should have seen his legs, like, were to here. He had this much body and this much leg. I'm telling you, it was, he was, unbe- he was beautiful. I mean, as he ran by me. And then a 75-year-old man started running ahead of me. And I just looked at him, and I was so tired, I could care less. And as I'm running, I'm like, Lord, I can't do this. And this old Bahamian woman was sitting on the curb. And she looked, as I'm running by, she looked up, and she just looked up while I was praying. I'm like, Lord, I can't do this. She looked up, and she goes, come on, boy, just keep running, man. You can make the race. And I thought, the Holy Spirit has shown up as a Bahamian woman. <laughs> and I saw that 75-year-old man, and I go, Bala, I am going to catch you. And I gave it everything I had to catch, and I beat him. I beat him. <laughs> what a shame. This is not a, this is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a marathon we're running. This is why in Hebrews 10, verse 36, he says, you've got need of endurance. you still got a long way to go. Don't live in, when is this going to be over? Don't live there in the midst of your trial. Live in, I'm going to finish this race, and I'm going to be faithful to fight this good fight. Would you watch this video? Watch this video. I think. This is just class right here by both of them. Oh Another boy. fall. Oh we just all want her to just get there. She's given everything she possibly has to get to this finish line. She is literally, from where we sit, we can oh see she's less than 50 yards from the finish. Sold a phenomenal athlete and triathlete, great runner. She's uh, just willing but, herself there. Uh, and this is, this is our winner, ladies and gentlemen. This is not normally what you expect to see at the finish of a marathon. But Chandler Self has run herself to complete exhaustion, and she is so brave. This is incredible. And she's running fast. Remember, she's 30 minutes ahead, or slower than what the time is because she started earlier. She is still going to run the marathon in under 2 hours and 54 minutes. Tremendous, tremendous effort for Chandler Self today. Oh, my goodness. So that too, that's a fantastic time. She's obviously... She's going to be fine. I, you know, we, we've seen this before. She's going to be absolutely fine. So don't worry about that. We got to get a re. Let me tell you something. She don't ever have to tell a soul how she finished, but she won that race. How many of you have felt in your Christian walk? That's you. Like you are. <laughs> Just do it out. You are doing everything you can to grab and finish. <laughs> That hurt my knee. I, I'm not going to do that again. How many of you, you look at that and you're like, man, that is me. I get that. And let me tell you what the Bible says. Though a righteous man falls down seven times, he gets back up again. Christians don't quit. We run the race. And how many of you have felt like 
that woman, the other woman that came alongside and was helping her. Let me tell you who she is. She showed up again, the Holy Spirit. Not as a Bahamian woman this time, but as a friend. That's the Holy Spirit. When we don't think that we can make it through, he comes alongside of us as the helper and helps us finish the race. Church, this is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a marathon. And the Holy Spirit, he wants to help you. Number four, take a look. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Number four, if you take a note, follow the example of Jesus. Just, just keep him in your mind. Because he's the author and the finisher of our faith. Let me tell you what he's saying. He wrote the book on faith. He wrote it. So he's the best one for you to refer to in regards to how you run your race. Let me tell you how he did it. He endured the cross. He got through it. He despised the shame. In other words, what he's saying here is he disregarded it. Now, I want to read you Hebrews 12, 2 in the message version. Okay, take a look. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish and with God, he could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. we got to follow the example of Jesus. You see, the author knows that these guys are facing shame. Their family is kicking them out. They're facing shame. When I went to Iran, the week before I landed in Tehran, there was a young girl who told her mom and dad that she had gotten saved. She came to Jesus. Do you know what her mother and father did to her? They stripped her naked and put her outside. That's a death sentence in Iran. Jesus despised that shame. He despised it. He disregarded it. You see, Jesus endured and disregarded the shame because his eyes were fixed on eternal things. His eyes were fixed on heaven. Don't lose sight in the midst of your trial where you're headed. You're going to heaven. Jesus chose to focus on the eternal things to get through the temporal. That's why I love going to third world countries. They don't have free time. They don't get to do pastimes. They survive. And when you go to church, they don't sing Jesus help me songs. They sing songs about heaven because it's the only thing they have to look forward to. So Paul, walking through his trial, he writes this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore we don't lose heart, Christians don't quit, even though our outward man is perishing, 
yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which affliction, which is but for a moment. Now we think, when we get sick, we think it's going to last forever. He goes, it's but for a moment. is working for us. Look at the perspective. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. When we lived in the Bahamas, my grandmother was senile. And I would go and visit her. Ma, how you doing? She goes, now, who are you? And I would say, well, I'm your grandson. And she would say, my grandson? I didn't know I had a grandson. And I said, yeah, I'm your son. I'm your, your son, Ira. I'm his child. She said, Ira's my son, eh? I said, yeah, that's your son. She says, well, how many children you got? I said, I have nine children. She would say, Jesha, lover boy, you don't know when to stop, eh? <laughs> Jesha, lover is a Bahamian vernacular. It's Jesus loves you, but we say Jesha, lover. And then she would do this. Now, who are you? And for 45 minutes, we said the same thing over again. And by the time we got to Jesha, lover, you don't know when to stop, eh? We'd go back again to who are you? But if I said... Amazing grace. She'd go, how sweet the sound. And if I would go, for God so loved the world, she would go, and he gave his only son. Because her outward man was perishing, but her inward man was being renewed day by day. Paul says, it's just a moment. In light of eternity, keep your eyes on the eternal things, not the temporal. Hebrews chapter 12, take a look at verse 3-4. Let's see what they were facing. For consider him who endured such hostility, because they were going through hostility from sinners against himself. Think about Jesus and what he went through. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Now stop there for just a minute. These guys are facing hostility. It shouldn't be a surprise. Jesus told you that you would face hostility. It's John chapter 16. He doesn't shy away from the truth of the world. We're going to have tribulation. Take a look at John 16, 33. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, look at his will. His God's will, in the world, you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I overcome the world. He doesn't shy away from the truth. You're going to have some issues here in this world. Listen to what else what he said. Christian, listen to what he said. It's John 15, 18. Take a look what he says. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Don't be surprised by this. He doesn't shy away from it. But when people hate you, when people come against you, you get weary. You get discouraged. These are natural emotions that occur in the midst of a trial. And that's exactly what's going on with them. They are weary and discouraged. Now take a look. Verse 4. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. 
He says, you're still alive. They killed Jesus. That, my friends, is a spiritual spanking. Eleven chapters, eleven chapters the Holy Spirit took to prepare them for a whooping. A whooping. They killed Jesus, and he made it through, and he did it for you. He didn't even suffer for himself, and you're still alive, and you're complaining. This had to hurt a little. And I know we're feeling it now because you're quiet. It's a spiritual spanking. I know it hurts. Spankings hurt. Like when I spanked my children, it wasn't like they always wanted Andre to spank them. They always wanted Andre to spank them. Because they would come out like almost laughing. They never wanted me to spank them. I don't know why. <laughs> and the author knew this would sting because this church had forgotten something about God. And what he does now is he reminds them of who God is. Would you take a look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5? And you have forgotten something. You forgot the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. So as children, my son. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. God gives spiritual spankings, scourgings. And if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, we've all been disciplined by God, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Let me tell you what they forgot. Maybe you write it down. You forgot he's our father. You forgot that. Chastening is the word, and it's a, heap, it's a Greek word that means giving your children instruction. That's the role of a dad. That's the role of a father. And it usually involves some form of discipline. If you don't make your bed, you get grounded. If you don't do what I've asked you to do, then you get spanked. Remember my son, Micaiah? He was young, and he was like five or six years old. I can't remember and he had done something in Sunday, uh, it was Wednesday night, and he did something in the children's ministry that was worthy of discipline. I can't remember what it was now. So I'm on my way home, and he's in the back seat, and he goes, Father, I have wronged you and God, and I need to apologize to you, and I need to repent before the Lord. I said to him, I go, Micaiah, I'm, I'm not going to have to spank you when we get home. I, like, the goal of discipline is to get you to repentance, but you're already repentant, so I just want to thank the Lord for that. So we're going to thank Jesus for your heart. He goes inside. He goes to his room. And I just followed him for some reason. I don't know why. 
But my other son, AJ, was in the room. And Micaiah looks at AJ and goes, man, did I get dad. He was going to spank me and I did the I repent thing. power of the Holy Spirit came upon me. <laughs> and a father who loves his son scourges him. <laughs> Boy, did he get whooped that night. And when children get disciplined, they have a tendency to respond two ways. Some children despise their parents for disciplining them. And he knows that. My son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't despise it. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Some children get discouraged. So he says, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. I don't understand, so I'm discouraged. And both emotions happen because they don't understand in their immaturity. They don't understand why you're disciplining them because they're immature. So if you despise God or are discouraged by God when he disciplines you, it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. Every father disciplines their son. Remember, the disciples, let's talk about them. Do you remember they were struggling with discouragement in the middle of a trial, in the middle of the storm, and they go to Jesus and they say, don't you care that we're going to die? You ever say that to Jesus? Don't you care what I'm going through? They're discouraged. And what did Jesus say to them? You're struggling with that sin again. You of little faith. Have you forgotten who's in the boat? Of course I care about you. See, as our father, his discipline comes from love. Now, I know for some of us who had a, a father that didn't discipline from love, they disciplined from anger. It's hard for us to believe a father that would discipline from love. But God loves us so much that he'll take us wherever we're at, but he loves us too much to leave us there. So he disciplines us. And leaving us in sin would dictate that he doesn't care about us. I remember when the kids were younger, I used to take them to the park. And I'll never forget this one day. There was this like four-year-old child who was in the middle of a temper. I mean like, yeah, like Jack-Jack from The Incredibles, demonic. <laughs> I mean, like, beating his mom. Like, I mean, it was just crazy. Guess what? I didn't care. He wasn't my kid. So I didn't go discipline him. He wasn't mine. So why would I discipline some child who's not mine? First of all, can you imagine me walking up to him? Hey, give me that kid. Spanking the kid? No, I would never do that. The child's not mine. Thank God disciplines us. It says we're his. It says that we belong to him. That we're his kids. Now remember, as our father, so since he's our dad, as our father, he deserves our respect. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 9. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9. Furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? In other words, your fathers, they, 
they challenged you and they disciplined you on their limited knowledge, but God knows what's in your spirit and he knows exactly how to discipline you. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Faithlessness, the sin of faithlessness, is a major diss to God. It's disrespectful. Because everything he does is for our good. It's for our profit. So if we become faithless when he's disciplining us, we have not, we're immature and we haven't realized he's trying to give us an advantage in life. I'll tell you another story about my son, Micaiah. I'm very proud of my son. He works for a uh, military, I can't tell you. <laughs> he's just a genius. He sits down for days and figures out math problems of how this particular thing will land in this particular place. It's unbelievable what he does. He's a genius. But when he was a little kid, he liked, when he was a teenager, he liked this girl. The girl didn't like him. And I was at a restaurant, and the girl came and sat in the booth behind me. So I dropped some eaves into their conversation. I was eavesdropping. I just kind of like put my head back in the booth like this. I was listening to everything they said. And you know what she said? One of the girls goes, why don't you like Micaiah? And he, she goes, he's irresponsible. So I'm not going to date someone that's irresponsible. I thought, wow, this girl's better than I thought. <laughs> so I got, went home that day, and I said, Micaiah, it's time for you to get a job. And I want you to go and work, and I want you to go park cars. Dad, I'm going to have to run? I'm going to have, like, that's hard work. Yeah, I know. Go to the hotel down the street and get the job. I don't want to. I don't care. <laughs> Why all of a sudden do I have to get a job? Because I told you. And I had a deal with my kids. Either you played sports or you got a job. That was my, our deal in high school. Play sports or get a job. So my kids either played sports or they had a job. So, Micaiah, you're not playing a sport right now. It's time for you to get a job. I don't want to get a job! <laughs> I won. And three months later, guess what? He got the girl. God is in the position of knowing everything to give us a step up in life. He's in that position. And the best thing for us is our holiness. That gives us the best step up in life. Because holiness gives us peace. We're not in wonder of when we're going to get caught or how do I cover this up or who's going to find out. And God knows that's a step up in life, holiness. But some people don't respond to discipline so well. Look at verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Some people, when they're disciplined, they throw a temper tantrum. You ever seen that with your kids? You ever seen it? Parents, you ever seen it? 
where you tell the kid no. We had a child that every time we said no, they threw their head back. One time they hit their head and I'm like, good. Good. Temper tantrums only make things worse. And what he's saying is, strengthen those hands that hang down and those feeble knees. You're throwing a temper tantrum. Our daughter Abigail and I got permission to say this because now she works for me. She was like seven years old, and she was grounded. She was so mad. She went up in her bunk bed. She put her feet on the ceiling, and she was so mad, she pressed her feet up on the ceiling and went, and the whole ceiling came down. Not only did she get hurt, there were hundreds of dollars of damages to our ceiling. So now she's even more in trouble. And what he's saying here is temper tantrums don't help. They hurt. They hurt. So when God's disciplining you, don't get mad at him. Love him for the fact that he, you're one of his. Be humble enough that you don't know the whole story. God does. Be humble enough not to despise but value the discipline. Be humble enough to be dis- not be discouraged but be encouraged that God is dealing with something in your life that's not holy to make you more like him, to define that you're his kid. Now, then he gives a tangible example of how to avoid a spiritual temper tantrum that could hurt you. And this is where we finish up. Take a look what he says. Verse 14, pursue peace with all people. Now he's given this example. Don't throw a temper tantrum. Let me give you an example. Pursue people, peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now here's what he's saying. Oftentimes in a trial, it's usually people that hurt us. Probably 80% of the time, we are in a trial because someone has said or done something to us. And a spiritual temper tantrum pursues war with people, not peace. They hurt us, I'm going to hurt them. They said things about me, I'm going to say things about them. They did something to me and I'm going to do something to them. (laughs) They toilet papered my house and I'm going to toilet paper their house. I know a youth pastor's wife that went to jail because of vengeance of toilet papering the house. True story. But temper tantrums can actually have a greater impact on you. The ceiling can fall on you and you can get hurt. David. Here's where I close. David in 1 Samuel chapter 27, King David, he's not in a good place. He's not king yet, but he's not in a good place. He's, he's tired. Saul is trying to kill him, and Israel, who he protected, is turning him in. So he's done. He decides, I'm going to the Philistines. I'm going to go fight for the Philistines. So he goes to live with the enemy. He's not in a good place. Two chapters later, in 1 Samuel chapter 29, the Philistine lords, they decide, we're going to go fight the Jews in Jezreel. David goes, I'll go with you. Excuse me? David, you're a Hebrew. You're going to go kill your own people? And he's there standing at the battlefront, 
And the, all the lords are loading. And one of the lords goes, um, what is the Hebrew doing here? Uh, he's Jewish and we're going to go fight Jews. Um, he needs to go back because we're not going to fight with the Jewish. What if he turns on us? And this is the same guy where they sing a song. Saul's killed his thousand, but David killed his ten thousands. Don't you know that's us? He was killing. I'm not going to the battle with this guy. And David goes, okay, I guess I'll go back home and I won't kill any Jews. David, you were going into battle to kill your own people? Yep. You know why? He was throwing a temper tantrum. You want to kill me, so I'm going to kill you first. Thankfully, God stepped in and a used a Gentile, Philistine Gentile, to send David back home. Can you imagine what his leadership would have looked like and what the pundits would be saying about the king that killed Jews? So God rescued him. And what God is doing with this word is trying to rescue you from your spiritual temper tantrum. Pursue peace. Whatever situation you're in, Pursue peace with holiness because holiness is the character of God that needs to be displayed in our life. And it means set apart. It means that we go the way of the word, not the way of the world. And I want you to see what's so important. With it, without, excuse me, without it, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Church, if we act like the world, they're not going to see the difference in us. They won't see the Lord. When Jesus was on the cross, he didn't return evil for evil. He returned evil with good. Your situation is an opportunity for them to see the difference in you. It's not an obstacle. It's an opportunity. To God be the glory. Amen. Amen. Our Father, I think if we're honest, Hebrews 12 is hard. Because we see the life of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses. And honestly, we're blown away at their lives. It's like, how'd they do it? And then you give us four ways to do it. That we get rid of this weight. That in, uh, we say goodbye to faithlessness. Fix our eyes on you, Lord. You express to us the way to do it. Sometimes it can be so easy to forget when you're in a trial. So, Spirit, we need you. Holy Spirit, there are people in this room that are going through trials. And they're listening to this word going, are you serious? And we need your Holy Spirit to be holy. Because there's a little bit of David in all of us. You want to kill me, I'm going to kill you first. We're human. We got flesh that we're dealing with. Our spouses hurt us. We want to hurt them. 
So, Lord, we do need your spirit. ask if you guys can bring the lights down just a minute. It's just you and the Lord. If Noah could do it, so can you. If Abel can do it, Enoch, so can you. We have Jesus. They didn't have Jesus as the example. The problem is you've been trying to do it on your own, in your flesh, and you're angry, and you're frustrated. And tonight, it's just time to surrender. Don't fall prey and be easily ensnared with faithlessness and just give up on God. Don't despise him for allowing this to be in your life. Don't be discouraged by, for he's allowed this in your life. And look at Job, right? Look what he went through and then three friends come along and they don't help. They look at him and say, you must be in sin. I mean, people can really hurt. I get it. But you need to ask for the Spirit. You might have even thrown a spiritual temper tantrum. Walking like this spiritually. Can't believe what God's allowed in my life. It's time to strengthen those feeble knees. It's time to put your chest out. And instead of walking around like this, you walk around like this. At least I know I'm a child of God. And my eyes are fixed on Him. And you need to fix your eyes on Him in your marriage. You need to fix your eyes on Him in your situation. You need to fix your eyes on Him in your trial. Because at least you know he loves you by allowing you to go through this. He's working out in you a measure of holiness, which is a step up for you. You're just looking at it the wrong way. Scannis leads us in this song. Just let it be your prayer. If you need to stand and raise your hands, or if you need to kneel, whatever it is that you need your moment with the Lord, just let this be a holy moment. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.